Hey, there we go. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cedar Valley Church this morning. My name is Grant. And my name is Michelle. And we are here to get the service started for you this morning. So if this is your first time here, a special welcome to you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you better. And you can help us out by giving us a shout at hellocedarvalley.ca. Um, if you're online, if you're online, you can give a comment as well. Um, if you're here on campus and you'd like to chat with somebody, find someone wearing a lanyard and they'd be happy to talk to you. Yeah, we just, we want to get to know you and it's actually, it's been happening a number of times when we see a service, uh, we see somebody new and they're like, oh yeah, I've been online for weeks. And we're like, really, I had no clue. So that's, uh, especially with the online thing, you know, especially while we're just running around here too, we don't want to miss any of you, but uh, help us out in doing that. Uh, and just a reminder for everybody, make sure you are following us on our online platforms. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. We have a weekly email newsletter. Uh, just good ways to stay connected and involved throughout the week for whether different updates or devotionals or just ways to connect our community online. So if you do go online, especially at our website, cedarvalley.ca, uh, you'll also find ways to give financially to our ministry of Cedar Valley and to also global ministries. Uh, we've been very blessed by our online and our on-campus community um, in their continued giving and to continue reaching and teaching and to bring the gospel to the city of mission and beyond. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I just want to throw out a reminder and a plug there as well. We are still working on rebuilding and, well, just building up a thriving kids' ministry for our Sunday mornings. And uh, that even has, like, a whole slew of different components. But a big part of that is we just need uh, teachers, facilitators to help run that because partway through the service, and we'll, we'll get to that as well, we'll be dismissing kids downstairs. They have a service designed just for them with worship and prayer and activities to help them connect into faith. There's online components as well. But we need teachers to help facilitate that. And with just being extra safe as well, there's some screening stuff. There's training as well. But we also need, like, at least two adults at a minimum of all the times with the kids. So that takes a good team, right? We don't want to burn anybody out, but we do want people to be involved and healthy. And so there is room, and we need a few more sign-ups. Yes, that's a good reminder. And uh, one major announcement for you. We will be having our congregational annual general meeting on March 13th, it's a Sunday, we'll have um, just a time of celebrating our congregation that morning service. We'll have something for a bit of a lunch, and then we'll have some of the business meeting parts after the lunch on that day. So that's uh, Sunday, March 13th. If you can please plan on being here, it would be great. Yeah, yeah, in the morning, right? That's, uh, so yes. that's, our, that's our church service. That's our worship service. It's going to be a really great morning. Hope to see all of you out engaged, participating, super excited. Yeah, we thought it would be easier than trying to plan another evening. So we'll just, we're together Sunday mornings anyway. If you normally view online, but you are one of our members, you might want to consider coming that morning as well. So we're going to get the service started here. Uh, we'll start with being led in a time of worship singing and some music, uh, led by Justin and Allison. Um, there'll be lyrics on the screen. And we invite you to join in however you feel comfortable, if you like to stand, if you need to sit, whatever is good for you. Yeah, and after that, like I mentioned, we're going to be dismissing the kids downstairs. So if uh, you're new here, if this is your first time here, make sure your kids should have a label. That means they're signed in and make sure we know who you are and who to contact. And if you need help doing that, find somebody wearing a lanyard at the back. We'll help you get signed in. And if you're joining online, you can head to our website. There is online content, videos, and more expanded teaching stuff just to engage in faith conversations with your kids at home. 
And after that, we'll have the next message in our series from Pastor Grant on the book of Galatians. Since the series is Jesus plus nothing, and he will be continuing in Galatians on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to get the service started, um, if you want to bow with me in a word of prayer, please. Thanks. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to gather together both in person and online. We just thank you so much for both of these really valuable opportunities to be together in different ways and to reach out to people in different ways. We thank you for the reminders that you're giving us through your word in the book of Galatians. There's so much there to um, just absorb and learn about you, Lord God. We just thank you for everyone who is a part of our congregation, whether they're Um, here or online, and those who just need um, prayer for health concerns. There's always so many out there, Lord, and we just thank you that um, you can watch out for us, you know our concerns, and that you are with those who are feeling unwell, and we just pray a special blessing for them as well. Just pray a blessing on the worship team and Pastor Grant for the rest of the service and for the children's ministries, and we just dedicate the rest of this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Grant and Michelle. Just uh, as we move into the next part of our service, this is a time of singing. And and I think mu- music is such a beautiful universal language that we all we all participate and engage in some way. And this is a way that I, I love just engaging in, in worship. And it's, it's just something that opens my spirit to understand how much God loves me. And so if if you want, please sing along and stand if you'd like. And, and this is just intended to draw us close to our Heavenly Father. So please join us in music this morning. sins of the world his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb and every knee will bow before Kings. 
God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He is roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb, and every knee will bow before stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion. The Lion of Judah, he's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow Lion and the Lamb. And every knee will bow before Him. Lord, thank you for being the Lamb who was slain for us and rose again in the power and authority of your holy name. We're so thankful for you. I just worship and praise you this morning. Amen. Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. And through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus.
our judge and our defender suffered and crucified forgiveness is in you descended into darkness you rose in glorious light forever seated high i believe in god our father i believe in christ the son i believe in the holy spirit our god is three in one i believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for i believe in the name of jesus i believe in life eternal i believe in the virgin birth i believe in the saints communion and in your holy church i believe in the resurrection when jesus comes again for i believe in the name of jesus for i believe in the name of jesus we believe in you jesus thank you for meeting us here this morning
glory to the cradle in the dirt. You came to live among us. You came to live among us, your creation, to show and care and teach. And Lord, that legacy is endless and so perfect. We love the fact that you love us. Thank you for loving us. And I pray that we receive that pray a blessing over this morning as we continue to find ways that you are teaching and showing us where to go and how to go. Thank you, Lord, for being our leader, endlessly just seeking after us. And I pray that we open our eyes and and just find you in that search. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Kids. If you are looking to head on downstairs for a service meant just for you, this is your chance. Head to the back corner. That's that way. If you are not checked in yet, parents, make sure your kids are signed in. Uh, And if you're joining us online, we are going to watch a video, just a bit of a snippet teaser of what is going on downstairs. And you can watch the full extended uh, stuff on our YouTube page or our website, cedarvalley.ca. Hello, hello. Hey, Kellen. What are we talking about today, Kellen? Great question. 
Today we're talking about a time that Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman at a well in Samaria. That's right. And what better way to learn about this historic moment than to hear from the woman herself? Uh, hello? Hello, and welcome to Behind the Bible. Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down at a well while his disciples went into town to buy food. While he was sitting there, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. It was the middle of the day, and he was just sitting there by himself. All I knew about him is that he was Jewish, and Jews did not talk to Samaritans. Plus, I'm not exactly the person people liked to talk to. Back then, most people just ignored me or were mean to me, so I wasn't going to say anything. Just to be clear, that was not the real woman from Samaria that Jesus talked to. This happened a long time ago, before cameras were invented. I think the people watching already know that. I know. I just want to make sure. Can you let me do my job, please? Oh, sure. Jesus asked the woman if she would give him a drink. Of course I was surprised when he asked. I was surprised he was even talking to me. I asked him how he could ask me for a drink when he was a Jew and I was a Samaritan woman. And he said, and I, I'll never forget this. He said, you don't know who is asking you for a drink. If you did, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. Sounds crazy, right? I mean, how could I ask him for a drink? He didn't even have anything to get water with. And who's ever heard of living water? Jesus told her, everyone who drinks the water from the well will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never get thirsty. When the woman asked Jesus for this living water, he told her to go get her husband. But, but Jesus knew that she had no husband. In fact, Jesus knew everything about her. That's right. I know. It blew my mind, you know. How could a stranger know all about my past? He knew all the mistakes I'd made, all my sins, but he was so kind about it. He wasn't embarrassed or mad or... He just saw me for who I was and knew me. That's when I realized he was no ordinary man. Jesus told her the truth about himself, that he was the Messiah, the savior of the world that the people had been waiting for. And that's when his disciples returned from getting food. Yeah, we were surprised to see him talking to a Samaritan woman, but we didn't say anything. Jesus was always surprising us with who he talked to. He cared about everybody. There wasn't a single person he thought of as not worth his time or attention. <sighs> I guess we should all be like that, huh? When I found out I was talking to the Messiah, I could barely believe it. I left my water jar. Cannot believe I did that. And I ran into town just shouting at people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? It was amazing. And I think people came to see him in part just because of how excited I was. They wanted to see for themselves what I was talking about. It was like the whole town came up to see Jesus. They begged him to stay with them, so we stayed there for two days. 
And so many people believed in him. They believed in Jesus as the savior of the world. It was incredible. That day changed me. He changed me. I just, I won't ever be the same again. Jesus showed the woman who he really was, the savior of the world. And because of her response to him, many people in her town met him and believed in him too. This has been Behind the Bible. That was really awesome. That was a great narration. Yes, I know. Okay. Hey, what did you guys think? Uh, that was great. Yeah, Jesus changed that woman's life. And saved her city. Yep. Jesus showed this overlooked woman that she mattered. And she responded by sharing the good news with everyone she knew. It's important to remember that no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done, we still matter to Jesus. behind the Bible talk show, so set myself up for failure there. All right, so we are, last week, we uh, announced that we had finally posted the search, the position for the lead pastor that we're searching for, for Cedar Valley Church. It's online, it's out there on a whole bunch of different pages, different uh, local seminaries and Bible colleges. We invited you to join us in prayer for that, and we want to make this a congregational, fully open invite kind of thing that we want to be involved in. We need to be involved together in this, in prayer, this uh, journey for our church. And so what we're going to be doing is every second Wednesday, starting this Wednesday, so this Wednesday evening, we are doing a prayer night here. So 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, uh, open invite for all of you to come out here, just here at the church in the lobby there, if there's a lot of us out here, uh, just spending an hour together in prayer for God to be involved in this process To uh, God already knows who is going to be a lead pastor for this church. So uh, for God to help us be aware of that, for God to help that person be aware of that, to go through the right channels, apply for it to be a smooth transition, for it to be the right timing, for this to work well. And ultimately, what we're looking here as a church, we've discerned our our goal, our mission, our vision, our values as Cedar Valley Church, and we are looking for a lead pastor to guide us into that, to be a shepherd for the congregation here, and to help make sure that we are focusing on spreading the gospel in our specifically called way as a church here in the city of Mission. So join us for that Wednesday evenings, starting this Wednesday, 7 o'clock here at the church. Otherwise, I think it's, uh, it's an obligation for me to mention that it's Super Bowl Sunday, um, I titled this sermon, Who's on Your Team? But that is about as far as Super Bowl metaphors will go. I don't know anything about football, so that's, that's it. That's all you're getting from me. But I do have a different story that uh, hopefully it applies. It's really fun. So it's a good story. When I was in college, one of my college jobs, and for a little bit after college, was I was a whitewater raft guide and instructor. Super fun job, high adrenaline, um, super exciting, and like with all outdoor adventure jobs, I got to work with a bunch of Aussies and Quebec Frenchies, got to meet people from all over the world. It was super fun. It paid horribly, but I got to go whitewater rafting like 300 times for free, I guess, so there's different trade-offs. Uh, out in Chilliwack, we worked on the Vedder River, Chilliwack River, and uh, one of the fun things about this river specifically is it's actually considered a creek. So it's tighter, it's narrower, steep drops, big rocks, really spicy rapids. 
You use smaller rafts as well, and differently than what you might have seen, the big rafts with the oars and the guide in the middle who can pretty much control the whole thing and clients just have paddles for show, um, we use small rafts that it, you really depend on the rafters, your clients to like get you down the river safely, and you're at the back with like a tiny little piece of plastic like barely ruddering. And so you have to work as a team, like I get to be the captain, but I really am dependent on the clients and the raft. So one big long weekend, fun weekend, sun was out, water was at a good high perfect level, so everything was running. We had over a dozen rafts worth of guests had come out to the ranch, ready to go. There's bachelorette parties, birthday parties, uh, company trips. There was a, I distinctly remember this one, there's a group of like, uh, past middle age is like the least offensive way to say it, ladies who wanted to prove something still. Uh, just wanted to take life by the horns. They were there too. There was um, what had always come out actually a lot, this company Events and Adventures Vancouver, so a bunch of like singles on blind dates. Don't go rafting as a blind date, by the way. It's, you're in wetsuits and big gross life jacket and you often say and do stupid stuff and somebody cries, it's embarrassing. Um, but yeah, so everybody had come out and they signed up for the hardest section of the river, the canyon. Super fun, um, is exciting. So we had like 14, 15 wraps. We had to get down the section of river and we all were getting assigned our different groups. And I got the group of the jocks, right? There's a bunch of these big athletic guys. They were all amped up, ready to go. They had just been partying all night. They're just stoked, like we're gonna hit this river. So I thought, sweet, this is gonna be fun. I'm gonna show off. It's gonna be awesome, right? So good trip. We set off, huge trip, we're just, just trying to survive getting, you know, 150 people down the river, coordinating, moving down, and the first big rapid comes up, it's called the Toilet Bowl, the fun names, and a couple of rafts ahead, they missed the mark, one went over backwards, which is just a bit extra exciting, uh, another one went over sideways, so that's a flip, and there's swimmers everywhere, and, you know, pick them up, it's fine, and so then it's my turn, and I'm going, and we're going to take the hero line to show off. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome, right? So right over like the biggest peak of the rapid, and uh, I start calling out. So we use commands. I'm like, forward paddle, right back, stop, left back. And I realize we're nowhere near where we need to be because my raft is full of drunks. <laughs> so I'm stressed. I just I get in. I'm paddling as hard as I can. Uh, we barely get there, it, you know, we just sneaked through the drop, uh, lost one rafter because he had no balance about him, just tipped off the side. We picked him up, it was fine. So this wasn't as fun a trip as I thought it would be. We survived our way down the, ra the rapids, got to one of the last ones near the end called RPG. All the rapids have names for a reason, if a rapid has a name. RPG stands for Rocket Propelled Guide. So it's this big steep drop that only exists at certain water levels and when you hit it just right, it folds the raft in half really aggressively and whoever's in the back of the boat is heading over the bow, which is usually the guide. So it's coming up and I just thought, okay, well, let's hit it. Where's my team? They're still not even close to sober. Uh, so no amount of calling or motivating was going to prevent the massive flip that we encountered. We're flying, I'm riding this bull of, a, like, wild bull of a raft upside down, trying to survive. There's paddles and clients everywhere. And luckily, you know, we're all coordinated, so all the other rafters and groups rescued, picked them all up. You know, the singles party got another drunk jock. The middle-aged ladies, they rescued most of them, so they were on it. <laughs> But I, that was a Sunday, it was a stressful Sunday, where I realized I did not have the right team with me. And in this next section of Galatians, we're in chapter 2, 
Paul, the author of this book, he gives us some more testimony of his journey and examples of how important it is to know who's on your team, who to listen to, who to uh, look towards for affirmation, and who to depend on when you're about to head over a raft-folding rapid called RPG. So let's hit the text. We are in Galatians chapter 2. And uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, turn it there. If you've got your app, uh, open it up, Galatians 2. And we're going to be reading through that starting in verse 1. So, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and a meeting, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I might preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So I want to take a moment on this. The first part right there, 14 years. So the Apostle Paul, quick recap, this is important. Apostle Paul, before he was a follower of Jesus, he actually charged after people who followed Jesus. He persecuted them, imprisoned them, sentenced them, uh, charged them with the death penalty uh, until he had this transformational moment. Jesus confronted him, came into his life, called out the actions of Paul's life, what he was doing. At the time, he was actually called Saul how he's living it out. It was such a massive moment, impacted him so much. It blinded Paul temporarily. It radically altered his life so strongly that after this, Paul had dedicated his entire life to the work of Jesus and building the church. And his name changed from Saul to Paul. So now we got Paul. He's writing this letter. And if you know the story, if you've grown up with hearing this story about Paul, how often do you think of this as something that happened instantly? Paul had this massive moment. He is blind, traveled over to... the scales came off his eyes, and then he's around planting churches. But here we actually get this sense where he actually spent 14 years building and assuring and like uh, patiently working on his faith before he's actually going around claiming himself boldly as an apostle, planting churches. See, he previously lived this passion-fueled and impulsive and reactionary-based life, and he had such a radical life change. He could see where he was at previously, how blinded he was at, how focused he was in at this religious zeal that he was going against God when he actually thought he was going for God. And now he experienced this new freedom and this new redirection. He's actually close to God. And he wanted to be certain that he would not slip back into a pattern that would pull him away from God's truth. So Paul made all these efforts to guard against living a pointless life, living any life that wasn't exactly what God wanted him to be doing. He says, not running this race in vain. Because for Paul, if he wasn't living out his design purpose in God's eyes, there was no point in doing anything. Why bother? So Paul spent 14 years on this, not being inactive and doing nothing, but being patient and contemplative, being humble developing and carefully discerning his role in this whole thing called Christianity in life. This is a thing that my generation, and in fact, actually, not even playing the generation game, all of us are really bad at patience, woefully impatient, in fact. I think we always want to be at the end of something. We want to accomplish and get there and finish and do stuff. We, I, I'm a huge culprit of this. I want to be way ahead, down the road, already finished doing this stuff, and Honestly, some of that, like, I often get restrained and held back, like, slow down and humble yourself a bit. That's kind of what you get right now in our world that moves so fast in this social media generation I'm hugely part of. We're all part of it now, too, is we want to just be bold and upfront right now because 
we can do that. I don't need to develop a platform. I can tweet it, right? I can just throw something out there, unchecked stupidity, and just get there and speak it. I don't need to earn that place. And it's also in part because you have this rapidly accelerating world that doesn't want to move at two miles an hour. There's a demand for instant decision-making, and there's no room for 14 years of patient development. All of us are subject to this, and we all are affected by this, a world that thrives off impulse and reaction. And I think this is one of Satan's biggest tools that he uses in our lives all the time because it keeps our guards down. It keeps our discernment low. It keeps those uh, skill sets from developing and it keeps us distracted and unfocused. And what little focus we have that's left is specifically on our own comforts and needs and far away from God's needs and desire for our lives. And in fact, I think one thing we do too with this hyper-distracted world is rather than putting guards on from falling into those lifestyles, I think we actually put, we put very little guard on returning to a life without God or stumble away from God. So here's the thing. There's a key difference I've noticed a lot with um, people who, so I grew up in the church and by God's grace, it's actually an amazing thing. Um, and if you talk to anybody who had a, con- a conversion later in life, they'll open wish I had more years with God. But I, I grew up in the church, and there are people who came to know Jesus much later in life in their adult years, and there's a difference I've always noticed about them. People who came to know Jesus in their adult years, they know to put up guards against never returning to that previous life because they know what it was like without God. Um, but then if you've grown up in the church, in fact, sometimes you don't put that same kind of effort in. And in fact, sometimes there's almost a bit of like a subtle infatuation with a rebellious life. Mostly you don't put that kind of effort into like falling away from God. Actually, this is a thing that scares me raising a pastor's kid. The stats are not in my favor. You just become so complacent and easy and sometimes just like infatuated doing anything different. But often what happens is little areas of our life that we think we're actually keeping from God, that we are lying to ourselves thinking that, you know, we can just keep this separate and hidden, whether it's just addictions or lust or pornographic fantasies or money. Maybe you've heard the story about the guy who got baptized but kept his wallet out of the water or our phone, maybe. We try to keep these things from God and we actually put effort into guarding those things from God rather than guarding our faith and our relationship with God from the rest of the world, from things like the wallet. That should be the first thing that hits into the baptism tank. So Paul, instead of this like rapid, high-paced world, shows us a different example by his own testimony, his own lifestyle, of playing the slow game, playing defense instead of offense. Defense is inherently a little bit of a slower focus. It's a bit more thoughtful. And so Paul spends 14 years strengthening and supporting an ironclad and robust, humble, defended faith in Jesus alone, all before moving into an authoritative role of influence. He was marked by humility in this, and when his previous life was marked by boastful religious zeal. And when he was focused in on that, God came in and crushed him. So what we can learn from that is to take Paul's example and start living for God in a, in a bit more of a contemplative, not so radically, thoughtlessly loud way before God has to come in and crush us and redirect us. So back into the story there, chapter 2, 14 years. We're not going to get as far as I wanted to today. <laughs> 14 years later. So 14 years later, 14 years later, Paul went up to, again to Jerusalem. This time he brought with him Barnabas 
and he took Titus along also. This is actually what I want to get into today. This is uh, something we're going to take a look at. Um, of note, Paul is traveling with companions. This is good. This is really, really good. Uh, from my childhood days, playing an adventure video game, The Legend of Zelda, there's a classic line that starts off. It just says, it's dangerous to go alone. Take, take this. You need a companion. You need to go with somebody. There's no good or effective biblical example of someone single-handedly carrying out God's work alone in this world. It, you need to be going with people in your life. Here's a really easy self-evaluation of character. Just You can do this. It's a rubric. It's really good. If you find you regularly have a hard time working with people, if you just cannot work with others, the problem is not everyone else. You need to be able to work with other people. That is a real need. We're designed to work in cooperation and collaboration. God himself is a trinity. He works in collaboration with himself. It's this big mystery. I'm not going to jump into that right now, but we're not meant to be solo hermits doing stuff. We need to be working with other people. And we need that kind of support. And now here, let's take a look at the team that Paul had built around for himself. So Barnabas. Barnabas' actual name was Joseph. The Bible always uses nicknames to confuse us, and you have to find all the different stuff. Study Bibles are helpful. I would have just read past Barnabas. It's a nice name. Barnabas was a fond nickname for Joseph. That just means one who encourages, which gives us uh, our first clue as to the kind of people that Paul had with him. Uh, an encouraging person, having somebody who focuses and has a gift for encouragement. Like, to get a nickname, the encourager, it can't just be somebody who writes a card every now and then, like a Valentine's Day card. Like, you actually powerfully have to be supportive and affirming and encouraging to keep people going. In Acts chapter 4, uh, a, book, a few books back in the Bible, you learn, too, about Barnabas. He was a very generous man. In fact, he was actually a wealthy man who became a very generous man. He owned a huge chunk of land, sold it, donated all the finances to the cause of the early church. He wanted to see stuff thrive. He had his life changed by God and wanted to, like, that was his only priority. So he was a generous man as well. He was also a very trusting and discerning man. He saw the truth in that Paul's testimony of life change before other people. In fact, other people didn't trust Paul. His previous life of uh, violence and aggression, people said, not a chance. In fact, some wanted, they had a warrant out to kill Paul. And Barnabas said, no, I, I think there's something to this guy's testimony. He was trusting to see people's character. He believed that God could do amazing and radical things. I know often it's sometimes my gut impulse to that, like, you know, having a response like, you're way too much of a mess. God, God's not done working with you yet. Like, I don't think that's where it's at. Instead, Barnabas had this sense of seeing like, no, I can see God at work in you. So that's the kind of person you want on your team. And lastly, Barnabas was just a, simply a mature, faithful man. He joined Paul on missionary journeys, defending the truth of Jesus's gospel message, especially in particular to those who were trying to constantly return to the old way of doing faith, the old way of doing stuff before Jesus entered in and said, you've just been focusing on religion, laws, and rules, and you missed people, you missed God at work. So these were, those are the main things that Barnabas did. You can read about those in the book of Acts and Galatians are the biggest uh, things you see in Paul and Barnabas' testimony. So now Titus, let's talk about Titus a bit. Titus was one of the first people to turn towards Jesus because of Paul's work in uh, ministry, because of Paul's testimony. Uh, back in chapter one, Paul said, simply my life changed and just telling people about the way Jesus had changed me affected so many people. They came and started praising God and they came to know Jesus. Titus was one of the first of those. Now, Titus was not a member of Judaism. 
um, people, God's people beforehand. He was actually, he was referred to as a Greek, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was a true Greek. Often this term is just used in the Bible to mean a, not a Jewish person. Um, some scholars believe Titus was an Aramean or a Syrian, uh, meaning that he spoke Aramaic. Uh, he often, in the different writings, we see a lot of Aramaic when Paul wrote to Titus. It gives us a good sense that th the biggest point of all this being that Titus was an outsider. He had no cultural authority in Judaism. He had no religious clout. He was fresh. He was focused on God. He had this completely different worldly perspective and now had turned his life towards Jesus. And Paul brought someone like this along with him, became his uh, effective intern, understudy, because Paul knew he needed that diversity of worldview. Still united towards the gospel, but something different. Without a doubt, without Paul along, or without Titus along with Paul on his journey, Paul's work wouldn't have been nearly as effective at communicating the gospel to so many people all around the Mediterranean, the early church. This is something, this diversity of view is something that we're especially bad at today. Honestly, engaging in a diversity of worldviews in our lives. I, I think, you know, especially when we talk about how things should be, right? That would be, I'm not talking about just cultural. Sometimes we do little token efforts to do like cultural understandings, but seeing the world from different perspectives, globally, we're a massive species, humanity. And again, imagine back in the day, Paul's day, 2,000 years ago, when you take somebody along with you on a journey, it's not just a Zoom, Skype call, it's not just a couple days, like, this was 14 years. I don't know if that's how long Titus was along with him, but your day and night journeying, bunking, finding a hostel, whatever, like 24-7 with somebody from a different perspective, a different worldview. Right now, our days, somebody sees something different as you. You throw in your AirPods, tune into whatever podcast, just consume something that just self-fulfills and gratifies confirmation bias in your own mind. It's easier than ever to just stay in a tiny bubble in our world today having no clue or not even being allowed to or unable to see a diversity of views on social issues, on politics, on religion, on our world. This diverse point of view was key for Paul to correct what was previously an extremely narrow point of view, so narrow that it caused Paul to miss God at work, literally in front of his face, that God had to come in and intervene. And it's a key lesson for us to learn today to correct what's in fact actually a history of division that we're pretty closely tied to as the church. There's, we're a Mennonite church. We have Mennonite roots, Mennonite cultures. There's two kinds of Mennonites, by the way, if you hadn't known that. There's the Mennonites we are, and there's the other Mennonites. And nothing that we as a church profess or care about any division. So close, though, the fact that just a couple generations ago, I've heard stories from my mom who grew up in a Mennonite church that was like, you do not make friends with the other Mennonites. You do not date the other Mennonites. You do not go near their church. It's a different kind of church. They have their doors open the other way, right? We, do, we find the dumbest things to make divisions about, but we're also, it's fueled by the fact that we're not willing to take understanding of a different worldview, a different perspective. Uh, author uh, Dr. Brene Brown, I, I like the way she puts it, is that our worldview is pretty set. We have to accept the fact that we all have a lens that we see the world through, and it's hard to change that. In fact, you can't just lie to yourself and force a change, but what you can do is honor other perspectives and find the value and truth in them. 
We need to actually be able to see stuff from a diverse point of view. Christianity was not an American thing, by the way. It was a Middle Eastern thing that went into all of the Mediterranean and then into the African stuff. It didn't start in England or Europe or, or Canada. It's traveled the world several times. It has so many different factors and influences that we need to understand. So Paul brought this along. Um, also good things to keep in mind as we're searching for a lead pastor too. You don't want yourself in the mirror, only. You need some diversity. Paul brought with him Barnaby and Titus, Barnabas and Titus, um, an encourager, gifted encourager, uh, trusting, faithful, discerning, patient, generous people, and some diversity, dynamic worldviews and experiences. So that was the team Paul had with him at this point. So continuing on in verse 3, um, yet not even Titus who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Even though he was a Greek, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Jesus Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. Okay, I'll, just, I'll pick this up here just to give some context because this will come up often in this letter. It comes up in the Bible a lot. Uh, circumcision, simply put, it is a medical practice in this context, specifically applies to men. Parents, you can tell your kids about it in more detail. This had a significance, though, massive cultural roots that we need to kind of read into this. Some translations don't even use the word circumcision. They just talk about the meaning instead. Um, but circumcision was the iconic and identifying ritual of... Uh, and characteristic of Jewish men. Um, and it was something that was very uncommon or completely unheard of in other cultures of that day. Uh, it became the mark physically and metaphorically of the men of God's people and was a ritual for men who were brought into those families as well. And as much as it can seem like a bizarre thing to have that as like the focal point for this history book, if you've taken any history classes, uh, the reality is the majority of written history is primarily influenced, whether metaphorically or literally, like in this case, from male domination, a man's, you know, that aside, that's just some context for this idea. What's happening here, Paul is making a clear point to the recipients of his letter to the Christians in Galatia and for us hearing it today. What Paul is saying here, the apostles, the, Paul who, the, the people who Paul went to go meet with and gain affirmation for in his testimony and in his ministry and in his work, there's a key characteristic they had. They represented by this statement when Paul says they didn't pressure Titus into being circumcised. They were mature in their faith. They had moved past this previous system. They had been changed by Jesus as well, that they were past the rules and systems that had distracted people away from God, and they were ultimately focused on the relationship with Jesus. They were marked by a life transformed by Jesus, and they understood and put into practice Paul's clear point in Galatians, that Jesus plus nothing, there's nothing that inhibits you from uh, experiencing Jesus or hearing the gospel. You don't need to be a certain way or have gone through these certain rituals for Jesus to come into your life. And furthermore, Paul even goes on to say that there are literally people among us that might try to blend in and trick us with a different motivation. Spies, Paul calls them, false brothers in some translations. Their interest is not in our growth or in our relationship with Jesus or in our betterment. It's for their own goals, their own agendas. They trick us. They get into our lives. So that's something we need to start paying attention to. Who's on your team? The point this morning is for us to take a critical look around us, who's on our team, being aware of who we've allowed in or who we haven't allowed into our lives. Uh, 
people who are influencers in our lives, affirmers, supporters, people who help us along on our journeys, our paths. Maybe we're trying to overcome addictions or, or leave something behind or better ourselves and strengthen our marriages or our families. Who's on our team for that? Who's maybe actively working against that? The goal this morning is not to motivate you to become exclusive with people you connect with. In fact, though, people you hang out with, uh, I believe the gospel actually commands us that we don't limit who we interact with all the time. We're supposed to be accessible to all people. We're supposed to be in relation with all people in the world. The, the Great Commission is to go into all of the world. But we do need to take a real look at who we allow to make that meaningful impact in our lives, who we allow to adjust our, our view, our worldviews. Um, there's, again, from Dr. Brene Brown, she has this helpful little rubric in a book that I like. I think it's really applicable here. Uh, she calls it the square squad. And what she says, and, and you can physically do this. It's a good little practice. Take a one inch by one inch. It's tiny. It's like the size of a loony. One inch by one inch, a little square piece of paper. And start writing down the names of people who you would, you would say fit that definition of being on your team in life. Who actually affirms and who you would actually uh, consider... Um, I, how she even says it there is uh, people who, if they criticized you or challenged you or celebrated you, it would matter the most. Who's the first person you would call with good news or who's the first person you connect with with bad news? You start writing those names down. Um, and the point is, it's pretty limited space. It's not to give it defined you should only have seven people or five or whatever, but there's two things about this. It should force you to take a consideration who actually fits into that one inch by one inch square, the square squad. And secondly, it should also get filled up. If you can't think of three people in your life that are that kind of important, you need to open yourself up more to people around you. Um, again, the point is not to limit who we interact with. I think one of the skills that we need to build again as a collective society, as a culture, after these couple years of social distancing, is to actually learn how to be socially present again with people. We need to open up and connect with people beyond our bubbles. That's a command, that's a biblical, that's a Christian ethic, that's a helpful human need is to actually be in relationship with people. So we need to be doing that. But I'm convinced we often open ourselves up way too much to influences and affirmations and uh, validations from anything and everywhere all over the world, whether it's these social media uh, things, whether it's this TV show, uh, whether it's people who just have their life in a complete outer disaster, but they're really fun to hang out with us, so we stay connected with them. We open ourselves up way too much. We make ourselves way too vulnerable with the wrong people, and we're not critical enough with who we allow on our team. What we do need to do is actually be critical with a select few people who fit some of the descriptions, like we see in Titus and Barnabas, with the apostles that Paul talks about and not the false brothers. I fear it's fairly common that all too often we find out way too late that we're in a raft full of drunk guys when we actually need to be in the raft full of the middle-aged ladies that will actually be there for us. They made it down the river great, actually. They were perfect. Um, but here's how we'll just end it off. The statement, Dr. Brown puts it, um, what we need on that list are people who will love or people who love us and will love us beyond their own agenda and own worldview, supporting us in what we need. I'm going to put it one step further back into the Bible here. Um, the Apostle Paul writes in, so we're in chapter 2, verse 6 now. Uh, As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism, and they added nothing to my message. 
So this is Paul talking about when he went to meet with the apostles, and it's kind of the uh, climax of his testimony after 14 years of journey and with Barnabas and Titus along with him, and he, he met the apostles, people who were directly close to, related to that. That's what apostle means, people who had directly been impacted by Jesus, like within a face-to-face kind of context. Uh, they were the early church leaders, church founders. So Paul meets with them, and here's where it caps off what he says. This is like the token validation for people who are on our side, on our team. Um, added nothing to my message. They fully validated this sense of Jesus plus nothing. What you need to watch out for in your life is the people who are like Jesus and do this stuff with your business. Jesus and make sure you vote this way. Jesus and make sure you focus and only hang out with these kind of people or do these kind of things to be really cool and popular and power gaining. Here, the sense is actually is Jesus and nothing else is your guide. That's who you can fill in your life. So Paul sets by example and expresses for us to take a look at who in our lives is living out that Jesus plus nothing attitude. Who is sold out to guiding people towards God at all costs? Who is able to move past earthly titles and authority? I love that fact there where he says, whatever they were, they were held in high esteem in the world's views. God doesn't show favoritism. It made no difference to me or to the apostles. So any of that doesn't matter, earthly titles and authorities. Instead, we need to cling to those people who fit those, those facts, encouragers, people who are faithful, people who can kind of see the truth past the surface, people who have a dynamic and different worldview than we experience all the time but are still focused on the same unified goals. Cling to those people and make sure they fit into your one-by-one square. Look towards them for affirmation and guidance. And even more so, the challenge I'll leave with you this morning is to be one of those kind of people for others, to make sure that you actually are able to fit into somebody else's one-by-one square. It's not just about consuming, it's about pouring out back as well. So it's going to end with that in prayer. God, thank you for the fact that you give us just, by Paul's own testimony, so much richness to see, to see how we need to be living out our life, how we need to be focused on who influences us, who impacts us, God, that is so important to actually be critical, not to isolate ourselves from people in the world, God, but to Take along with us people who have the best interests, people who you have also blessed and put in our lives to thrive and succeed. God, I pray that you challenge us to also be that kind of person for others in our world. God, to take a look at how we are maybe falling short, maybe how we have either intentionally, God, or unintentionally been a spy or a false witness or a false brother or sister in somebody's life, God, where we've just been distracted by our own agendas and put that on to somebody else or tried to pull them away from their good efforts God, I pray for anybody here who's in the process of coming out of addiction or trying to work on something, improve something in their life that's trying to just better on what's going on. God, that you surround them with people who will, the, the right team, God, with people who will get them down the river, the rafting metaphor, but God, who will get them close to you, who will get them closer towards your goal and design for their life. God, I just pray you bless this morning that we go here, forward from here, living this out. God, taking a real look at who we let into our lives in these ways. God, pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, everyone, thanks again. See you on Wednesday for a night of prayer. Other than that, have a great week.